Recovery is stupendous. Achievable. Hope. Freedom. 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 Empowering. It's unique to everyone. It's a journey, not a destination. Getting a new lease on life. Finding restoration after you fall down. Recovery is having the freedom to enjoy life. For me, it was finding a way to really love myself. My recovery is possible in part because of my own sense of purpose. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Recovery Talks Podcast. I'm Andy Daniel, social media coordinator for MPN, and I'm here with Mandy Nunes. She's a certified behavioral health peer support specialist at Rimrock Foundation in Billings. She's currently working with clients in a variety of treatment courts, and she's a drug court graduate herself. So welcome, Mandy. Hi, thank you. So tell me a little bit about yourself. I'm 37 years old. I am, like I said, a a drug court graduate. I am uh, currently in recovery from both substance use and mental health issues. Uh, I work at Rimrock Foundation right now. I currently work with our treatment court population, which is really amazing to me. It's it's kind of like my life has come full circle. I find it super, super rewarding, much more so than I did working with clients in an inpatient setting. Uh, I just feel like there's a lot more long-term kind of connection, and it's something that I'm familiar with because that's the route I went to find recovery was through a drug court program. Yeah, it's so important for us to feel like we're really making a difference in peer support and and not just going through the motions. I agree with you a lot on that. So some people might not be familiar with what drug court is. Can you explain that a little bit? Sure. In Billings, we have a, a variety of drug court programs. The one that I went through and that I graduated from was a felony drug court program. So clients, people that had received felony drug charges uh, were given the opportunity to, rather than do a DOC program or do prison time, they were given the opportunity to do long-term intensive treatment. I was in treatment about 22 months, as well as regular random UAs, breathalyzers. I also did some therapy, mental health therapy while I was going through drug court. And then we went to court every week initially. And they kind of assess, you know, where are you doing well? Where are you not doing so well? How can we help you succeed? So it gives you both the treatment section, helping you figure out what life looks like, getting a job, you know, kind of going through what, why am I an addict? You know, what was my childhood like? Coping skills, all of those things. But it also gives you that accountability aspect of we're going to hold you accountable. You can't use and be in this program. You have to take drug tests. So it really kind of teaches us how to live life again. And that's exactly what I needed. Um, There's family drug court program here which is for clients with CPS cases that are trying to get their kids back. That looks a little bit different. We have misdemeanor drug court programs for clients that have maybe misdemeanor drug charges. We have co-occurring courts, so clients that struggle with both pretty significant mental health 
and substance use charges. So we have a, a big variety of drug court programs that that I'm working with now. Can you talk about the most challenging but beneficial transition you had to make when you were a drug court client? Sure. For me, I think the most challenging transition was transitioning from compliance to surrender. So when I went into drug court, I was, I I wanted something different. I wanted a different life. I didn't want to use drugs anymore. Like I knew that road was empty for me. I knew that all that was at the end of that road was either a prison sentence or a casket. And so I wanted something different and I was willing to be compliant with everything that they asked me to do. I showed up to all my class, you know, all my groups on time, my classes, I did all of my new ways. Um, I moved into sober living. I like all of the, like I checked the boxes, but I wasn't willing to look at some other really toxic behaviors, things that weren't illegal, but were definitely not going to serve me long-term. I wasn't willing to look at any of those. And so I kind of felt like I was living this almost a double life, kind of like I would do all of the things that they wanted wanted me to do. And I would be this one person when I was in treatment and then I would go home and outside of there, I was, you know, engaging in very short lived, intense, unhealthy relationships. I started to date a lot of different men that were probably not healthy for me. You know, I I found all these other behaviors to kind of fill the void that drugs used to fill. And I wasn't willing to look at those behaviors and surrender those to the process. And it led me down, it led me down a path to where even in recovery, I was miserable. I was you know, depressed. I couldn't figure out what was wrong with me and, and, you know, why I couldn't find a good relationship and why they were all failing and why I was so unhappy. It ended up leading me, you know, into a place where I ended up relapsing while I was in drug court. I'm super grateful that I did. It taught me a lot of valuable lessons. And at that point, I became willing to surrender. Like, if I really want a life that's different I want to be happy in recovery, and if I really want to be healthy, I have to look at all of my unhealthy behaviors, not just my drug addiction. Well, and I think that a lot of times the substance use issues sort of mask those other problems, right? That's that's a way that you've chosen to cope with whatever else is going on in your life. So, so just getting sober or not using or whatever doesn't necessarily fix the problem right and so you it sounds like you realized that that you know you were doing the absolute the things you absolutely had to do to stay in treatment court but that wasn't fixing all of your problems is that accurate right I would say that that's definitely accurate and and I see that a lot in the work that I too you know still do today it's like I'm doing everything that you want me to do but there was just, there was so much more, there was so much more to my illness than just substance use, you know, like, especially for me where I have both mental health and substance use, you know, and it's like, where does one end and the other begin? There's a lot of kind of those things overlap each other. I thought that when I got clean, that all of those other behaviors would go away, that those were part of drug addiction. That's just a part of the game. That's a part of that life. And when I got clean, 
those behaviors didn't go away. I actually think I saw them show up more in my life because I didn't have, those were the, those were the coping skills. I knew they weren't healthy, but that's how I knew how to change how I felt. I don't, I don't like what's happening. I don't like how I feel. And so I'm going to distract myself and find this man and he's going to make me feel better about myself for a little while. And I did that over and over and over again until I realized that I wasn't, it wasn't working for me. So tell me a little bit more about like the internal work that you had to do, you know, within yourself in order to build a, a good solid foundation of recovery through drug court. That's, that's a, a really good one. And that goes really kind of goes along with my answer for the last question. Once I had kind of surrendered that, you know, that I had to be willing to work on all of this other stuff, I, I think the, the most difficult and, and best internal work I did was, was building my internal value system and, and building an identity, you know, who, who am I? I spent many years being a chameleon because that's what I had to do to survive. Uh, I was whoever you wanted me to be when I was with you in order to get my needs met. And, and a lot of that is, is a trauma response that I think I carried on through childhood into adulthood, but, but it was effective through my substance use years. And so when I got clean and started working on this stuff, I, I had no idea who I was and I didn't have any internal sense of value. And so I had to work really hard at deciding, and it, and it was a decision, um, who do I want to be? Do I want to be compassionate? Do I want to have integrity? Do I want to be honest? Do I want to be brutally honest? Or do I want to be able to speak the truth and love? And what's the difference between, between those two things? And how do those things look? And what does it mean to be a good friend to somebody? What does that look like? What are those characteristics? And then practicing those things intentionally and deciding like respect. I had to decide that respect was more important to me than attention. I, I spent a lot of time wanting attention from other people. And when I made the realization that I wanted to respect myself and I wanted people to treat me with respect and I wanted to do the same thing and that those things were entirely different, I had to learn what that looked like. And I had to learn how to be modest and how to, you know, speak with kindness. And, and it was a long, hard process. There was a point in time I grew up believing a lot of really unrealistic, defeating beliefs. I grew up in a home that was, there was a lot of violence in my home. I grew up in a home where I was told things like, women and children are to be seen and not heard. Um, the man who makes the gold makes the rules, things like that. And so I grew up believing kind of that women were less than men. And so I didn't have as much value as a man did. And I chose things in my adult life that reaffirmed those beliefs. So I had to change that internal conversation with myself and change those beliefs that I, I do have value as a woman. I can be, you know, respectable. I, I can be um, valued for who I am and for my mind and for 
you know, all of these other things and not just my body and that I can cook dinner and that, you know, like I had to change all of that about myself in order, I wouldn't be where I'm at today if I hadn't done those things. That was kind of my foundation that I could do this, that I could be whatever kind of person I wanted to be. I changed the type of music that I listened to because I could not simultaneously tell myself that I have value and I'm a strong, independent woman and then go home and listen to, you know, Nicki Minaj and Lil Wayne and music that glorified women as objects and selling drugs and, you know, and so I did very intentional things in order to try and change those things about myself because I knew that my life was going to remain broken, that I would not, that I could not thrive. I could survive, but that I would not thrive if I didn't work on those things. You said that you were thankful for your relapse. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? I won't say I wasn't thankful at first. <laughs> it, it's kind of a, a hindsight is twenty twenty kind of thing. I was seriously prioritizing the wrong things in my life. I, again, it was kind of a man thing. I was choosing to put men first in my life rather than my recovery. I quit doing the things that had had worked up to that point. Like I was going to treatment and stuff, but I wasn't, it wasn't my priority. Like I, I quit going to meetings as often. I had to attend three meetings a week. That was part of what I had to do for drug court. But I found a meeting that nobody else was attending in my drug court program. And I started forging slips. So I wasn't even going to meetings. I was like faking that so I could spend time with my boyfriend. I was dating a man who was fresh out of rehab, uh, who was still actively using. And I thought that I could save him because I had like 15 months or 17 months clean. And so I thought I had it. I thought I had it figured out. I was so wrong. I was so wrong. I just, I needed to. It was a good time for me to realize how fragile my recovery was. And I was able to, with support, come in and be honest, talk about my relapse, get back on track. Uh, it was like a one-day overnight relapse, which I'm super grateful for. I, I don't know if my drug of choice would have been available. I don't know if I would have been able to come back. So I'm grateful, too, that my drug of choice wasn't there. But I, I needed to know. I needed, I needed to know my, my recovery was fragile. I needed to be able to look back and go, all of these things were red flags, but I was headed down the wrong road. I quit going to meetings. I was forging signatures. I was, you know, once again, dating toxic, unhealthy men. I was, you know, all of those different things are little signs that I'm headed down the wrong path. I just didn't know it yet. Had you been involved with the criminal justice system around your addiction before you entered drug court? I had. I attempted to do a misdemeanor drug court program in, man, like 2005 or something like that, around there, 2004, 2005. I had gotten a partner family member assault charge, and I 
pled guilty and there was substance use involved, of course, and alcohol. And tried to do a drug court program at that time and could not stay clean. Could not stay clean. Couldn't, I just couldn't. I didn't, I don't know if I didn't want to or if I just didn't have the ability to, but I couldn't stay clean. I did go to treatment while I was kind of in that time frame. And I went to MCDC and I completed and I came back to Billings and was uh, unwilling at that point to even be compliant. The court would tell me that I couldn't do this. I couldn't move in with my mom or I couldn't, you know, live with my husband because that was unhealthy. And I would just, you know, go against court and do it anyway. And I just was super unwilling to do any of the stuff that they asked me to do. And I just kept using. And so I eventually ended up sitting my time sitting out my misdemeanor time in jail. I, I had multiple shoplifting charges throughout my active addiction. Yeah, I had lots of little run-ins with the law and spent a little bit of time in jail here and a little bit of time in jail there, but nothing, nothing that opened my eyes, nothing that made me want to do anything different. And then I, then I caught some felonies and I, I was looking at doing some prison time, and that opened my eyes. How does your own experience in drug court, as a drug court client, how does that inform your work as a peer supporter, and and how do you use that to support other people in in their recovery? I think that it kind of uniquely qualifies uh, a peer supporter to to work in the area that their experience comes from. Uh, and I know that it's kind of that way for me. I've gone back now. I work in the same place of treatment. The place that, pro- that I work at that provides treatment for the drug court programs, that is the same one that I went through when I went through drug court. A lot of the same counselors are there. It's very interesting to sit in the room with a client and they're telling you, their struggle and they're telling you how hard it is to, God, I have to get up in the morning and I'm living at the shelter. I'm living at sober living and I have to walk. I have to walk down to this place and I have to do it. And it's like, and it's, I know I, I get it. I had to do all of those same things. Let's talk about what are some ways that we can work through this? What, what do you need from me? How can I help? There's something to be said about just knowing that the person you're sitting with has traveled this road before you. It puts them in a different place. It puts them at ease. Also, my role is entirely different than their counselor's role, than the director's role, than their psychiatrist's role. My job isn't to point out these little discrepancies and to make them work on this or tell them they have to work on that. I hear them. I hear them in an entirely different way than a, than a lot of their other the other people in their life do. And I get to say, yeah, I know. I, I get it. Me too. How can I help? And it gives them kind of a sense of power back, I think, to instead of me directing them on where they need to go, they get to kind of pick the direction that they want it to go. And I just support them through that. And it creates an amazing connection creates a wonderful connection. I've had some of the the most rewarding, inspiring conversations with people that are currently in in, in treatment, in treatment court, in day treatment. It's, 
it's almost indescribable. The the feeling that I get knowing, I, I, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. That I'm helping them. It's almost like reaching back and helping a version of myself, if that makes sense. I know that feeling. I've been there. I can help you. That's, that's a really great analogy. Thanks for joining me today, Mandy. This has been really informative. Um, and it's, it's great to hear about your recovery and the positive experiences that you've had moving through your recovery journey. Thank you so much for, um, for having me, Andy. This has been a, a great experience for me too, and I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks everybody for listening. And if you are interested in being a guest on one of our podcasts, just send us an email. Have a great week and we'll catch you next time. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works. Recovery is possible. Recovery is possible. <laughs> recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery is possible.